taken from her home by a Muslim employer. Her employer knew the family, owned some shops in the area, and promised her parents to pay her a salary, and to promise that that salary would help the family. She was a Christian girl, and when she was taken, one of the days, she was abducted, taken by the employer, and uh, she was forced to marry him. She was 13. I guess this happens on a regular basis over there in Pakistan. Uh, when she would be interviewed publicly, she would have to, she was forced to say she married him of her own free will. Um, she prayed to God every night that God would help her. And the good news is after two years, she escaped and uh, got back with her family and now she's telling her story. When I read that article, lots of thoughts went through my mind, but two main thoughts. The first thought was this. Unfortunately, uh, you have to be careful with the human beings that you trust nowadays. It's kind of sad, really, even here in America. You have to be careful with the people. It's amazing to me that people will spend so much time trying to scam other people, trying to rip off other people. I mean, it's really sad. The second thought that came to mind was, I am thankful that we have a God that we can trust. God can be trusted. God is a great God. I want to look this morning at the Christmas story. I want to look at it from the standpoint of God's perspective as, as we recognize and develop this thought, God can be trusted. And we see it throughout the scripture. We see it throughout the Christmas story. I want to begin reading Matthew chapter 1, verse number 23. We'll start here. Uh, there's a number of passages I'm going to try to have you to, uh, to look at this morning. Matthew 1 and verse number 23, the Bible says this, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. They shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I want to give you four reasons God can be trusted. I want to bow and ask the Lord to meet with us, and then we'll look at four reasons that God can be trusted based on the Christmas story. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for truth. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to know you. And Lord, someday you are coming again, and what a day that's going to be. Lord, would you help us to live in light of that truth? I ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts now. Lord, we recognize if any work is to be done that you must do it. So, Lord, I pray you would. pray you'd speak to our hearts. pray you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. It's easy for us when we make a statement, God can be trusted. It is easy for us to say, yeah, oh, amen, amen, God can be trusted. The reality is, is God is easy to be trusted when things are going good. When life is smooth and everything's going the way we think it should be going. But when trouble comes, when difficulties come, when life's challenges come, that's where the devil will do what he can to get us into unbelief. To get us in thinking in a way that God doesn't want us to think. And so I want to look at this story. I want to give you four reasons that we know God can be trusted based on the Christmas story. The first one is this. God is never untrue. God is never wrong. 
We read from Matthew 1 and verse number 23. The Bible says, A virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. We know Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. You go back there. The book of Isaiah was written around 740 to 680 B.C. The book of Matthew was written approximately A.D. 60 A.D. And the Bible tells us the same thing in Isaiah. Isaiah predicts the, the, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus. As we read Isaiah 7 and verse 14, the Bible says this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Many of the details we read in the Gospel of Matthew concerning the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ were predicted in the Old Testament. You see, why is that significant? Because it helps us to understand the veracity, the, the accuracy, the truthfulness of the Word of God. God predicted that a virgin would be a virgin would have a child, and in Matthew it happens. Look at chapter Matthew two and verse number five. The Bible says, And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. What prophet are we talking about? We're talking about the prophet Micah in Micah 5 and verse number 2. Verse 6 says, And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of these shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. When we see God foretell something in the Old Testament, and we see it come exactly, specifically true in the New Testament, it helps us to recognize the word of God can be trusted. If you look at Matthew chapter 2, we're in the same chapter, verse 17 and 18. Well, actually, let's get a running start. We'll look at verse number 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and slew, sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now look at verse number 17 and 18 carefully. The Bible says this. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 15. You'll see Jeremiah communicating this. But the Bible says in verse 18 in Ramah, there was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, a great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. What do we see? We see it being predicted in Numbers chapter 24, uh, 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 Balaam. Uh, tries to curse the people of God and is unable to do it. And he talks about the star of Jacob. And if you look at Matthew 2 and verse 2, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. There are many, many prophecies made of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament that find fulfillment in the New Testament. And that ought to encourage us. Why? Because there are things that haven't happened yet that are still to happen, and we can count on it. Hey, Jesus is coming again. We are on the victory side. 
sometimes it can be <laughs> disconcerting as you think concerning what goes on in the world in which we live in. And you think, man, it just seems like on all sides the enemy's winning. I read this this week here in Pennsylvania. The new president of one of Pennsylvania's largest school districts was sworn into office with her hand, not on the Bible, on sexually explicit LGBT propaganda and banned books, books that were banned from the school. Democrat Karen Smith took up her new position Monday night as the head of the Central Bucks School District and immediately moved to undo Republican-led, pro-parent, and pro-family policies. For the swearing-in, she chose to place her hand not on a Bible, but a stack of frequently banned books. It lists the names. I'll not list them for you. I'm not particularly religious, she explained. The Bible doesn't hold significant meaning for me. And given everything that has occurred in the last couple of years, the banned books, they do mean something to me at this point. Horrible books. Horrible. And we've got the president of the school board district promoting this. You read stuff like this. We see stuff like this all the time in the news. And it can be dis discouraging. We find ourselves saying, what in the world is going on in the world in which we live in? The Bible says Jesus is coming again. Hey, the Bible says we are on the winning side. We are on the victory side. And we can find ourselves getting inundated with all of this stuff and allowing it to discourage us. Or we can find ourselves in this book and allowing this book to encourage us. Because what God says will happen, will happen. Amen. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what we're looking for. By the way, the birth of Jesus Christ they were looking for back then, it was prophesied in the Old Testament, and Jesus came, and he lived, and he died on a cross, and he ascended to heaven. And the scripture says in Acts, this same Jesus, which was taken up to you in heaven, will so come again in like manner as you have seen him go up into heaven. What are we waiting on? The Lord's not slack concerning his promise. What? But once all men to come unto repentance. God in his grace is allowing people to trust Christ as Savior. And we need to recognize that God is never untrue. Secondly, and there's more we could say here, many more prophecies we could look at, but we'll not do that. Secondly, God is never unclear. God is never unclear. Go to, we're in Matthew 2. Look, at, look, look with me in verse number, uh, verse number 12. The Bible says in verse 12, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Look at verse number 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and go somewhere. But I'm not going to tell you where. And go flee into Egypt. Look at verse number 20. 
Verse 19 says, But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For they are dead which sought the child's life. Verse 22. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea, in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go thither, notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. In Luke chapter number 2, the shepherds are there, the angels appear in the sky, and they say, unto you is born this day a Savior somewhere in the city of David. And they said, what? Let us rise and let us go and see. Hey, God clearly leads us. Sometimes determining God's will can be a challenge, can't it? It's not a challenge on his end. The challenge is on our hand. I, I think one of the biggest reasons not understanding God's will is a challenge for us is because we're not totally surrendered to do it. We say, Lord, I'll do this, and I'll do this, and I'll do this, but I ain't doing this. If any man will do his will, he shall know. That's what the scripture says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, did you what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. A dead sacrifice can't do anything. But think about that aspect of sacrifice. If you were going to sacrifice, we don't now. I'm thankful we can go straight to Jesus. But back then they had to sacrifice an animal, and they put an animal on, on the altar there, and it's a dead sacrifice. You can't see the animal. Okay, jump off. Get off. Get off. It's dead. But when we're a living sacrifice, we're living our lives according to what God wants us to do. So that sacrifice aspect of it we're alive, but that sacrifice aspect of it is still the same. Determining God's will comes when we totally surrender and say, God, I want to know and do your will. How many of you play hide and, hide and seek as a kid? Any of you played hide and seek? How many of you had sock fights in your house when you were a kid? Just Stephanie. The rest of you have missed out. <laughs> this afternoon when you go home, find the socks that don't have matches, put them together, my mom would save socks. You know, kids, they, they, I don't know what happens. The, the washing machine eats socks. And just one is there. What do you do with that one? My mom put them in a drawer. And about once a year, maybe twice a year, we would have a sock fight. We'd pull that drawer out, dump it on the bed, and you'd be matching black and pink, and it didn't matter. The idea was to get a nice, hard, firm. You know, those thin socks, they don't work, all right? And it's just they barely fly, you know? And if someone gets hit by a thin, it's like they don't even know they got hit. We wanted it nice and solid. And uh, my dad even joined us on this. And uh, they would send half of us, usually the boys, we'd go up to the rooms and we'd have our socks. And then he and my sister would come up and they would try to find us. And the idea was to get them, to get the sock right here, Charles, right in their head. <laughs> One time, hilarious, I remember as a kid, my dad got so into it, he broke, broke a lamp or something. And us kids were laughing because, you know, mom, you know, when you get in trouble by mom, you know, you broke the lamp, it's always the kid. But we're like, my dad got in trouble. Dad got in trouble. Because your mom and dad are having this discussion about a lamp that he broke, a fixture or something like that. Hey, 
hide and seek is fine. It's a great game. We have a good time. But God's never playing hide and seek with us. God's not up in heaven trying to make his will very difficult for you to figure it out. He doesn't get with the angels and say, come on, let's make this tough down there on, on old Shaw. He's, had, he's, been, he's been a little tough. We're going to make it tough. God doesn't play those kind of games. The Bible says, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Thou wilt show me, Psalm 1611, the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Acts 2.28, thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. He, uh, John 16.13, howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but what he shall that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Don't you think that a loving God in heaven that wants to use you to do his will is very willing and eager and desirous to clearly show you his specific will. You see, God's leading is always clear. I challenge you, you take a study, do a study on the will of God. You look at the word of God, you will see specific. Paul said, hey, I was going to go preach over here, but the spirit bade him not. and said, hey, go over here and preach. You see, every one of us has a privilege to be used of God in a unique way. He's gifted each of us. And God has a specific thing that he would have us to do. I think, just I mentioned this before, I think that's really when it comes to impacting people for eternity. I don't think, this is my opinion, you can argue with me if you want, I don't think God cares if you tie your right shoe before your left shoe, all right? But I do think that God cares if we witness to the people that come in contact with us because that's impacting people for eternity. And when you look at the Christmas story, you will see God specifically, clearly leading his people. And God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changes not. And God specifically wants to lead us when it comes to this matter of his will. All right, so number one, God's never untrue. Number two, God is never unclear. He can be trusted. Let me give you a number three. God is never untimely. He's never untimely. His timing is never wrong. He is never late. He's never too early. His timing is always perfect. Don't you wish that was true about some of us, never late, can you, can you be too early? Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Go into our text. Look at Matthew chapter number 1. Here we are. Joseph, verse 19. He finds out. Mary's with child. How can this be? And Joseph is at decision-making time. We don't know where he was. With a decision going on in his mind and his heart. What's he going to do? Then Joseph, verse 19, being a just, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, thought, well, maybe I'll put her away privately. He's thinking on these things. And just in the nick of time, an angel of the Lord appears unto him and says, Joseph, fear not to take Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. God steps 
in just in time. We read already verse 12 of chapter 2. Being warned of God. Hey, don't go home the same way because Herod's waiting on you. Being warned of God just in time. In chapter 2, verse 22 and 23, it's interesting the reign of Archelaus. Verse 22, when he did reign. Archelaus was the son of Herod. When Herod died, his land was divided among his sons. Archelaus was a bloody king worse than his father, Herod. But just in time, he's warned of God in a dream. In Luke chapter number 2, it was the taxing time, right? Let's go there. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, we're familiar with this story. We could quote it, the drop of a hat, unless someone asks us to. Then we get stage fright and poof, where'd it go? And it came to pass, verse 1, that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. What's happening, this taxing time's right around the birth of Christ and would get Joseph and Mary to where they need to be, Bethlehem. If you look at chapter 2, verse 25, you read about this man named Simeon. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He's an older man. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do it for him after the custom of the law, he just happened to be in the right place at the right time. God orchestrated it. God set it up. You think concerning the stories we read in the word of God. Here's the children of Israel. They leave Egypt. They're excited. and they're, they're, They leave Egypt, and here they're staring at the Red Sea. They're staring at the Red Sea, and they've got mountains and desert, and they turn around, and here's the Egyptians coming, and they start complaining, we're all going to be dead. And in God's timing, the pillar of fire moves, and God parts the Red Sea, and the, Egyptian, I mean, the Israelites go across. And then before the sea closes, it looks like, here's the Egyptians, they're coming too. And God closes it on the Egyptians just in his timing. Martha and Mary asked Jesus to come to the tomb of Lazarus, or to come to, come to, to heal Lazarus. Jesus delayed two days. He shows up, and Martha and Mary are like, what's up? Why did you delay? Now he's dead. And Jesus came in his perfect timing because he wanted to show them something about himself that they hadn't seen before. In Acts 12, James is beheaded with the sword. Peter's in prison. The Bible says the church prayed for Peter. And they're praying for Peter. He's in prison. And it looks like Peter is going to die the next day. But just in the nick of time, an angel shows up. Peter, wake up and come out here and follow me. You see, his ways aren't our ways. We think about the disciples in a storm. Looks like they're going to die. And in his timing, Jesus comes walking on the sea and calms the storm. You see, God's ways aren't our ways. His thoughts aren't our thoughts. His timing is not our timing. One commentator said this, Sometimes men sigh for an angel to come to point them their way. That simply indicates that the time has not yet come for them to move. 
If you do not know what you ought to do, stand still until you do. When the time comes for action, circumstances like glowworms will sparkle along your path. You will become so sure that you are right when God's witnesses concur that you could not be sure though an angel beckoned on you. The circumstances of our daily life are to us an infallible indication of God's will when they concur with the inner promptings of the Spirit and the Word of God. So long as they are stationary, wait. We don't like to wait. That's why fast foods, we we want it now. We want it quicker than fast. We're impatient. And sometimes God's timing isn't ours. As long as they're stationary, wait. When you must act, they will open. A way will be made through oceans and rivers, wastes, and rocks. We often make a great mistake thinking that God is not guiding us at all because we cannot see far in front, but this is not his method. He only undertakes that the steps of a good man should be ordered by the Lord, not next year, but tomorrow. The next mile... Not the the next mile, but the next yard. Not the whole pattern, but the next stitch in the canvas. If you expect more than this, you'll be disappointed and get back in the dark. But this will secure you for your leading in the right way, and you will acknowledge when you review it from the hilltops of glory. God's timing. If you look at the story, you read it for the first time, you're like, oh, what's Joseph going to do? Oh, an angel comes. Oh, the wise men. Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, an angel comes. Oh, what's going to happen to me? I mean, we, we've read this, these stories so many times that sometimes we forget about the timing of God in this story and the timing of God in our lives. What are you waiting on God to do? What do you need God to do in your life? What prayer do you need to see God answer? What challenge do you need God? What burden to to take care of? What burden do you need to see God lift? God has a perfect timing. And we've got to rest in his timing and keep seeking him until he shows us the way. So many of us get impatient and we make the wrong decision because we're not willing to wait on God's clear leading. Number four, and we'll be finished. God is never, we're going to go back to Matthew 1. You can see this in Luke 1, Luke 2, Matthew 1. And uh, just another thought I had. He's, he's never untrue, never unclear, never untimely. He's never uncaring. I like the many times we read, behold, the angel of the Lord. We read it in verse 20 of Matthew 1. Behold the angel of the Lord. In chapter 2 and verse 12, they were warned of God in a dream. Verse 13, behold the angel of the Lord. Verse number 19, behold the angel of the Lord. In chapter 2, 22, we've read it already, they were warned of God. In Luke chapter 1 and verse number 28, I love what God says to Mary when she says, Mary, you're going to have a child. He says, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. And in verse 37, she says to Mary, For nothing, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. God walks through life with us. 
And when you, when you look at this story, we're going to take a lot of time here. When you look at this, let's, let's just look at Mary, for instance. Mary, you're going to have a child. The child has given you the Holy Ghost. Imagine all the things that went through her mind. Uh, how is this possible? What are they going to say about me? And God says, hey, I'm with you. Nothing's impossible with me. I am care enough. I'm going to get you through this. You look at it. He walked Mary and Joseph through the whole Christmas story. And Jesus made it. You think about God's care for us. He cares just as much about us as we walk through life in 2023. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to them that trust in him. He is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. What I love about the God we serve is the God we serve doesn't just give us an assignment. He goes with us and enables us and helps us accomplish that assignment. I was thinking about this hymn this morning in our hymn book. Hymn number, and again, sometimes we we sing hymns and we don't really focus on the words. By the way, I think it's a good idea to have a hymn book by your side of your end table, wherever where you read your uh, Bible in the morning and ask the Lord to give you a song. 299 is a favorite amongst many of us here, day by day. Every day, the Lord himself is near me with special mercy for each hour. All my cares... He fain would bear and cheer me, he whose name is counselor and power. The protection of his child and measure is a charge that on himself he laid. Your protection, your care is a job that God gave to himself. You think about that. As thy days, thy strength shall be in measure. This the pledge to me he made. I could read more stanzas. Strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my father's wise bestowment. I've no cause for worry or for fear. Why do we find ourselves so fearful? Why do we find ourselves so anxious? Why do we find ourselves so worried when our God can be trusted. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. You look at this, you look at this Christmas story. It just screams that God can be trusted, that God's in control. Whatever you're facing this week, God can be trusted. But we've got to look to Him and let Him. Take care of us. Lord, we love you today.